Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode number 87 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out in the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved so thanks so much for tuning in and thanks for being here now i just want to give a shout out to some of the riders that are competing um, from ireland and from northern ireland and this scene's just going crazy at the minute the guys in the ews elliot heap who came 19th and keelan grant who came 36th awesome awesome results guys so so good and i just want to give a shout out to jack devlin under 21s who came 18th and Drew Armstrong 16th. The guys are ripping, it's going so well. And Leah Monsell, well, what can we say? She's number one under 21s. Unbelievable, so well done. I also want to just say well done to Glenn O'Brien and the crew there at the Vitus First Tracks Enduro at Bigwood. It seemed like an awesome weekend and well done, guys. Everything now went smooth there and you seem to have a really, really good event. So well done. So on to today's episode number 87, we are chatting to Jack O'Hare, the owner and founder of the very cool trail construction company Summit Trails. Now Jack reached out to me after listening to the podcast with Jasper D. Seymour, who's a good friend of Jack's, Uh, I think it was episode number 73. So Jack and Jasper both live in Tasmania. And if you tuned into Jasper's episode, you'll know how mountain biking is blowing up there with trail centres like Blue Derby, Medina Bike Park, just to mention a few. But the scene is going crazy. Now, these trail networks have become so popular that communities have been reborn due to the number of mountain bikers coming to ride and enjoy what these trails have to offer. So it was a complete pleasure to get Jack on the show and tell us about how these awesome trails come to be and what it takes to own and run a successful trail construction business. We chat about how Jack got into the trail building industry, companies he has worked with in the past, why he stepped out to form his own company, Summit Trails, and the many balls that this man has to juggle to make something like this work is unbelievable. And um, we also find out why Jack loves it so much because because he is really passionate about it. So folks, when you're riding down your local trail, when you're riding down a trail on holidays, when you're doing any of that stuff, I don't know if you stop to think the actual logistics that go into making these things happen. It is a crazy, crazy time schedule. We get into that with Jack. Sometimes can take up to two plus years before the soil is even moved anywhere so it's it's just a crazy crazy industry which is blowing up with the popularity of mountain biking and uh, it was great to get jack on he's such a cool guy and um, i hope you enjoy this episode folks it's just a really good insight to what happens to get these trails made that we love so much to ride so without further ado let me welcome jack to the mtb tribe podcast Hi, Jack. Welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. How are you in Tasmania, sir? Going really well, mate. Um, thanks for taking the time to give us a call. It's a pleasure to be on board. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. And uh, it, it's cool because you're the first kind of trail building um, business we've had on the show. So I'm quite excited about this uh, to get into the, the nitty gritty of this industry. Yeah, for sure. Um it's a it's a good industry to be involved in, and I think um, you'll probably start seeing a lot more 
people like myself popping up around the world, I dare say. Um, it seems to be expanding quite a bit. So, yeah, it's really good to get the chance to come on and sort of chat about the ins and outs and my experience, I guess. Yeah, cool, man, cool. And now, you got in touch um, after Jasper's episode. Um, mm. Do you know Jasper? Do you know him personally? Yeah, yep, yep. I've uh, done a couple of photo shoots and film shoots and stuff with Jasper over mm-hmm. the last, not for a while now, but for when I was working out at uh, Medina Bike Park, he did a fair bit of promotional stuff when we were mm-hmm. out there. And so we did a couple of photo shoots and some video work and stuff like that. And and Tasmania being a pretty small place, you kind of always bumping into each other, which is one of the good things about it. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that that uh, episode with him was awesome. Uh, he's such a, such a good dude and he just like has such a good passion for what he does and he's a frother. So it's yeah. – um, it's good to have people like him in the scene, you know, and like I think he brings a lot to it, and that was really cool to get an insight into what he's all about. Yeah, yeah, like, I love Jasper's stuff. I think it's amazing. He's got a great kind of comedy element in a lot of his stuff, and um, it's refreshing. I think it's so good, so good. Yeah, no, nah, he's good. He takes it fairly lightheartedly, and um, I think he seems to have a lot of fun with what he does, which is which is exactly what we should be doing. Yeah. Yeah, cool, man. He put out a thing quite recently, just like his day. You know the way people do these things on Instagram and all where you, they just record their day and it's mm. always quite serious and all, but he put one out and it was just a total rip. And yeah, was, yeah, yeah. in tears, man. It was so yeah. funny. Yeah, it sounds like the sort of thing he'd be um, he'd be getting up to, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen him take anything too seriously. He's always joking around and got a big smile on his face, so he's a good dude for sure. <laughs> Class, man, class. Right, well, let's chat a wee bit about what you do. So, Jack, you are the director of summittrails.net. Um, yeah. And you're a trail building company. Um, but tell us a wee bit about your background. So how did you first get into mountain biking? What interested you in that? Um, I used to just do a lot of riding around as a kid, as most kids do. And then I guess I always was trying to find spots to build jumps and do things like that and I just kept on breaking on my bikes and so mm. the guy at the local bike shop uh who's now a good friend of mine just was like you need to go buy yourself a proper mountain bike because I'm sick of fixing your your crappy little <laughs> kids bike sort of thing and so I saved up for a for a while and bought myself a old old school giant VT it was which is like 2003 model or mm. something back then and um yeah, and then rode that thing flat out, did some cross-country races, did uh, some 24-hour cross-country races in teams when I was at school. And then from there, kind of, yeah, was just always looking for the gnarlier side of it, I guess. So I got into downhill racing and then I've been doing that for, well, this is the first, this summer was the first summer I haven't done downhill racing in 10 years. So Oh, really? Um, I just stepped back a little bit for a season and to try and focus on the business and all that sort of stuff, which has been good. But yeah, so I just did a heap of racing and um, lucky enough to have been able to travel all over the world um, doing that and riding my bike. And yeah, it's been it's been a great uh, part of my lifestyle, I guess. And it's sort of my main focus in life is to revolve it around bike riding. Mm, mm, very cool. And you, you're born and bred in Tasmania. No, I was born in the oh. mainland, like an hour out of Melbourne, and then okay. I've done a couple of stints of work down here and then moved here about two years ago um, when we started to build it, 
Medina and then I worked out there for about a year and then uh, that was when I resigned and moved to Hobart and started off my own thing. So I've been in Tassie for two years, but I'm mm-hmm. starting to feel like a little bit of a local, but I feel like it takes it takes a while to get let in. I think Jasper was the same. He was from yeah. WA or something like that. And, he said he's just starting to feel it. But, yeah, it's um it's a beautiful spot. I love it down here and there's lots of good trails, so it's good, very good. Mm-hmm. Mm. And did you did you move there because of the trails? Is that what made you stay there? Yeah, well, we I was in Europe and then when I was away doing some racing and stuff, we came straight – I came straight home to my parents' place for like four days and then moved to Tassie to go work at Medina and – um yeah, it was like flat out out there. And then I just loved the place so much that I just wanted to stay. Um, Hobart's just a little bit more convenient for getting to places. Medina's a tiny little town. So I moved into Hobart and um, and it's still everything's so close, you know. So I can't mm-hmm. see myself leaving anytime soon. It's probably one of my favourite places I've ever been in the world, I reckon. Yeah. Wow, wow. So tell us a wee bit about your racing then. So at what kind of age did you start at that? Uh, about... 14, 15, I started in the downhill racing and I did mm-hmm. maybe two years of cross-country racing before that. Um, not that seriously, but, uh, yeah, I just started racing like the, the local races and then the state races um, through juniors. I couldn't really afford to get myself to all the nationals and stuff like that. But then as I uh, got a little bit older and started earning some money, I started racing the national series and then went to Whistler a few times and raced Crankworks. Uh, wow. One, of the, I think it was the second or the third time I went to Canada. I went over and I was supposed to race the Monson Anne and Wyndham World Cups, but I had a big crash uh, the week before and put myself in hospital in Canada, and so I missed those ones. And then two years later, which was in 2017, me and a friend went to Europe and did the whole van life thing and raced, I think, four or five of the World Cup rounds over there. So mm-hmm. that was a pretty good experience. Hard, very difficult Um and definitely humbling, but it was good to get over and get a taste and uh, something I'd like to do again. Yeah. Yeah, because you're still quite young and you could you could obviously still do that. And But what do you like so much about that scene? Because everybody seems to – it just seems to be such a good community. Yeah, I think that's the main thing is just how everybody gets along. And uh, one of the coolest things, I suppose, about going and racing those World Cups is that a lot of the dudes that are doing that for a living and they're on their teams and everything, they're still pretty humble guys and um, they're pretty genuine people. So you can still hang out and, and have fun uh, with, you know, some of the fastest guys in the world, which is always a cool experience to go riding with those dudes and see just what they can do on a bike. And yeah, I think that it's a pretty tight knit community and I swear that you can just bump into people all over the world. I've, people that I've met in Canada and New Zealand and Europe, you see them in Tassie now or overseas or at big races and events. So it's just cool how you kind of keep coming back and uh, bumping into each other. It's kind of like a big family, I guess. Yeah, so that's probably what kept me in it so well is just having all my friends involved in the riding scene. It's been awesome. Mm, yeah, no, it's it seems to be very cool. And um, it's one of those very few sports where – you can rock up to you know a world class event with the top people in the world, and you can bump into them and have a chat. Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, you know, surfing's like that, and mountain biking's like that. But you know, you couldn't do that at a soccer match or a tennis or 
you know, it's just completely different, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I think that's one of the the major positives of it not being as huge a sport as some of those other mainstream sports, I guess. Um, it is growing and it is pretty big. And like some like the Fort William World Cup's crazy. There's I think there was over like twenty thousand people there or something, which is just <laughs> just blew my mind, you know. Um, but yeah, you still I feel like people still have that chance to interact, and and most people considering how much pressure's on them to perform come race day they're like still pretty chilled out and humble people and approachable guys and girls so mm-hmm. i think it's got a really good a really good culture and a lot of friends of mine that have got into the sport at, like a bit later on in their lives and stuff i just said like how welcome welcoming the, the community is and so i think that's one of the big positives of it for sure that's cool Mm. Very cool. Now, so tell us how you get into the trail building industry. So you obviously have a passion for mountain biking, um, but how did you go from racing to trail building? What was that move like? Well, kind of, they kind of, uh, one came along with the other, I guess, because where I grew up, there wasn't really any riding. Um, there's a little bit of cross country riding, but not, no gravity stuff, um, where, where we were growing up as kids. And so we just used to, go to the local mountain and scratch in trails and I spent heaps and heaps of weekends as a teenager up on the hill building trails and I guess that's kind of where the passion of it came from is that if I didn't do that I wouldn't have really had anything to ride so um, and I couldn't drive myself around when I was that young either so it was just one of those things it was almost like a necessity to begin with and then turned into something that I'm extremely passionate about and yeah then I when I left uh my final year of school, I went and got a job with World Trail, who they're the guys that built um, Derby. Okay. And I worked with them for nearly two years, and they're a great crew. And Glenn, the owner, he's an awesome dude. And, um, yeah, went and did that for a couple of years. And then I got into university in Melbourne and went to study a psychology, criminal, criminology double degree. And after one year of that, I decided that I wanted to get back into the trail building and that that university lifestyle wasn't for me. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, that's when I got a job with Dirt Art and I spent about four years with those guys traveling all around Australia and New Zealand working and building trails. And then that sort of culminated in uh, leading the build at Medina Bike Park and putting all the first stage of that all together. And then, yeah, now after that, it was kind of like the next step for me, I guess, was to start my own thing and, uh, focus on myself a little bit more, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And when you, you start to end to the trail building thing, like, did you just basically say, guys, I'm looking for a job? How did that all kind of happen? Yeah, it's funny. I found uh, Glenn Jacobs. I found his phone number on <laughs> like this mountain bike forum, this old mountain bike forum that was in Oz. Like, I don't think it even runs anymore. And I found like this old post, I found his phone number. So I just called him and, um, and then he was just, well, surprised because it wasn't, they, you know, normally had a, an email that you'd send your resume to and all this sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. I think he's, you know, he said that he, that, that initiative, I guess, that I showed to actually f- track him down and give him a call was enough for him to say, I oh, will give this kid a shot. So a couple of weeks mm-hmm. later, they had some work near me and I drove down and meet him, met them there and, um yeah it kind of just it kind of it was weird it just all happened um so yeah just from scrolling through an internet forum to getting on site two weeks later it kind of just all fell fell together and then 
Um, and then after I'd had a couple of years there, I suppose, because the industry is so small, um, it's well, I think once you're in the industry, it's quite easy to get rehired uh, mm. just because everybody kind of knows everyone, you know. And so especially then, it was a lot smaller then than it was now. And uh, so then when I went to work for Dirt Up, yeah, I just uh, got in touch with those guys and they called me back and said that they were keen for me to come on board. And so, yeah, I guess that's just how it all happened. It, it was weird. I've never really had to do resumes or anything like that. It's kind of all just um, seemed to, I don't know, just line up and, and come together. Yeah. Cool, cool. And what was your first day like? What do they have you doing on your first day? My first day? Oh, geez, that's going back. I They tried, they needed machine operators. And so I'd learned that. My dad um, had his own business growing up. And um, so he had all earth moving equipment. And so I'd learned how to drive it all when I was little. And uh, so the guys at World Trail needed a machine operator. And I just jumped in and showed them what I could do and it was good enough for them. So I did a bit of that, did a lot of, lot of raking. We were building like a big dirt jump and dirt jump park and pump track and stuff um, mm-hmm. in country Victoria and Australia. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was just on the, on the hand tools and in the machines and they kind of tried me out on all the different stuff. Um, and yeah, it's like really hard work, but rewarding to kind of put all that, toil into a project and see it, see it come together and create something that looks really beautiful as well is is pretty rewarding and so I was hooked straight away yeah for sure like after being in school I think it was like the perfect thing for me to to progress into mm-hmm. yeah and did you take your bike with you to that first that first job yeah 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 straight <laughs> away yeah yeah and it was good because those guys uh they've got a, a partnership with Specialized and I was riding a Specialized at the time so it all kind of fit in nicely with the crew straight away. So it was it was a good time. Yeah, I had a lot of fun doing that back then. Very good, very good. So you've done this, you've done your training, you've been through all this, uh, you have good experience in the industry. So what made you want to start your own trail maintenance business then? Um, well, we do, we do construction, um, consultancy, design work, and, and maintenance stuff as well. So uh, I guess the thing was, I suppose, was I – I was the construction manager for Dirt Art for probably a bit over 12 months after being kind of like a project leader for those guys. And, uh, yeah, I just – I got to the stage. They were turning into quite a large company, like pretty pretty big scale stuff, and and I kind of wanted to scale down and, and have something maybe a little bit more uh, high-end focused, I guess. Not that those guys aren't, but I think the reality of – having a larger business it's hard to manage all the fine stuff and so um yeah i just really wanted to start something that i could put to my own name and be proud of and and uh i guess have the control of but also to just learn and expand um beyond the actual trail building stuff and learn how to build and run a business and um deal with different clients and interact with all different people and so that's been awesome uh yeah, I suppose that's kind of the gist of it. But um, mm-hmm. mm. yeah, and, and it's you know what size of businesses would they be? You know, like when you say they they grew and they they were expanding and getting quite big. Like, how many people would they hire? What kind of size of teams do they have? Yeah, they when they were like peak peak busy um, across both mountain biking and walking trail construction, they would have had probably fifty staff. I'd right, say really? 
which is huge, you know, and they, they've got like a pretty big management team. There'd be half a dozen uh, people in the offices kind of running all the back end and project managing and all that sort of stuff. And then there yeah, they probably had maybe 10 full-time team leader construction guys and then and then most of the other staff were kind of made up by casuals but who were generally there for a fair while um mm-hmm. yeah so it's a pretty big like for the trail industry that's a big company and that's a big show to run um especially because all their projects are scattered all over the country so it's um that makes it inherently more difficult when you've got half dozen projects running at the same time in different states and even different countries at times so it's uh pretty incredible really that they they managed to do such a good job of it like it's it's impressive for sure um it's not i i definitely wouldn't ever want to get my business to that size i think just having one or two teams is enough for me and kind of specializing in that trying to specialize in that high-end trail work is the aim and uh mm. and i suppose not just do the generic stuff as well like just the normal easy walking paths and stuff like that but it's kind of specialized just in mountain bike trails is is the vision yeah so yeah and was it a scary step for you um to do something on your own yeah definitely um yeah it was pretty intimidating i kind of just once i had i've been thinking about it for a fair while i guess i kind of put like a good six months of thought into it and then it was kind of like I just made the decision one day and, and then that was it and I was just had to prepare myself for whatever was going to come. And it's been hard because it's not easy as a new business in the industry to, to go against um, companies like that that have got a, such a big and established brand. Uh, it's A lot of our work is procured, so it's all through tendering and um, it's quite hard as a new – even though I've got a lot of experience as, as the company is still new, it's quite hard to um, – I suppose for clients to feel safe picking a new business um, mm-hmm. to do their projects, yeah. So that that bit's definitely hard, and and that's intimidating, I suppose, because you don't know when the next project's coming on, um, always. And so you just gotta, I guess, you just gotta try and run with it and do the best you can. But um, it's not, it hasn't been too bad. It, it definitely hasn't been too stressful or anything like that. It's just a good challenge, and something different happens like every day. So it's. I think that part of it's really rewarding and it's exciting every time a lead comes up on a new project or something that you can do is it's always exciting to know that something's coming around the corner but not being exactly sure how it's going to pan out for sure Mm -hmm. yeah i am sure i'm sure there's a lot of moving parts involved and stuff like that um so summit trails has been going from 2018 is that correct yeah so we formed in would have been end of september last year so not even 12 12 months yet so it's still wow. pretty new yeah yeah it's still fresh off the block so um Happy days that's exciting times it is yeah super exciting it's been good yeah so pretty happy yeah. with how it's all progressing so far yeah cool and how does your business structure look and stuff like that i suppose you've got plans and you obviously put a bit of thought into it and a bit of planning into it so tell us a wee bit about that just yeah, so I, I'm the owner and director um, and then I generally engage casual guys to help out on projects. Um, we work on a kind of project-to-project basis, mm-hmm. I suppose, and so sometimes we'll, uh, we'll go away and we might, we might be working 
you know, flat out for a month and then we'll come home and not not do anything um, construction-wise for a week or two and, and kind of just run the back end of it. But I kind of steer the ship, I guess, and, and do most of the most of the uh, office side and then do most of the construction side with the machinery. And then mm-hmm. I'll get got different guys that come and help out um, doing the labouring and stuff like that, which is super handy. Um, my partner, she's an environmental consultant, so she helps out with uh, a bunch of that sort of stuff with the construction plans and enviro plans and tendering work and stuff. And then... A good friend of mine, he's an engineer as well, and he's going to come on and start helping us out with some stuff soon too, which should be should be exciting. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's good. We I've made some contacts with other companies in the industry, and and we've worked together um, where there's been two or three companies working at once on on a bigger project, and it kind of gives us all the capacity to do a big job. But then afterwards, we don't have to try and find another big project to slide straight into to keep all the staff busy. We can kind of just uh, keep it keep it small scale, but take on bigger work by working together, and that's been really good. So collaborating with other people is something that I'm going to continue to do, I think. And so far, it's worked really well. Yeah, that sounds good because I'm sure, as far as staff go, um, it's is it quite difficult to get people because you're you're like you say you're maybe on full time for a month, and then there's maybe noth- nothing for a few weeks. Yeah. And- you're yep. moving about the country and you're going to different locations. People have to live out of hotels as such. How does that yeah. all work then? Yeah, it's super difficult. It's probably, I'd, I'd, I'd say that that's probably the most challenging aspect of the business for sure. Um, it's very hard to find guys that are really good at it and are happy to travel wherever we've got to travel to. A lot of the time it means you're working in a tiny place in the middle of nowhere and so it's not always socially the the most fun for, for the guys. So uh, that is that is one of the big challenges. Finding guys that have good machine skills is really hard. That are, you know that have got good machine skills, but also trail building experience is, is a very hard combination to come by. Um, and then yeah, like when we're when we're away, we've got to provide accommodation, and then there's allowances that go along with that, so it's expensive as well. Um, so I, I would say that is the the major challenge in like keeping everything running smooth is finding good staff and and the flip side of that is is like when you find someone good you want to you want to be able to keep them on so you you're trying to find new work but then i think that's the thing of being a new business it's it's hard to uh have projects lined up back to back and so it's those gaps in between that if someone has to go and earn money then they're gonna have to go and do what they're gonna do so i guess you've got to be understanding but that is the challenge for sure yeah that that sounds super challenging to be honest um and, you know, I, I think when people look at trails and stuff like that, I, I'm not really sure they realise what kind of goes on behind the the curtain, you know. All that kind of logistics mm. stuff is a total headache. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it can be a nightmare at times. It's it's definitely good when it goes smoothly and comes together, but there's, there's other times when, uh, yeah, it's just an absolute nightmare. And that's probably one of the downsides of living in Tasmania is, like, to get – to get all our construction equipment over to the mainland, it's got to go on a ferry, which oh. is, you know, like by the time you get the four-wheel drive and the mini excavator and everything on the boat, it's probably over $1,000 each way, um, which mm. chews up a bit of cash. And, and then that ferry often books out over summer, so it can be quite hard to to schedule things. You've kind of got to take a punt and, and hope ahead that everything's going to line up and 
going to work out on the right dates. So that's mm-hmm. that's another element. Like when we work on the mainland, it does get a bit tricky. Um, and sometimes it's easier to just hire a machine or car over there than actually take ours. It can end up being more economical. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what I was going to ask you about machinery and stuff. Um, you know, is it something you own yourself as a company or yep. do you outsource yep. that from other people? Like it's... Yeah, we've got our own little mini excavator, um, just a little 1.7 ton one. And that does most of our single track work and stuff like that. And then when we've done pump tracks and things like that, we'll hire in a bigger machine to kind of do the bulk of the work and then finish it with a little one. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of like, yeah, our, our essential machine item. And then, yeah, if we have to scale up, we'll just hire stuff in so that we don't have to worry about buying or paying off all this equipment and keeping it busy all the time subsequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've got our own like little kit that can build a single track and stuff like that. But yeah, anything, anything larger pump tracks and jump parks and stuff is, is uh, we normally hire some stuff in for a week or two to get it going. Yeah. And you do quite a lot um, looking through your website, you know, so just cause you do walk trails, you do all kind of different types of trails. Tell us a wee bit about that. Yeah, so we'll pretty much do – there's a lot of walking trail work in Tassie as well. Um, there's a lot of hiking and stuff down here, so we're keen to do more of that work. We've done a little bit. Um, and then mountain bike trail work, we've done pump tracks. Uh, we've done new trail construction. Um, most of the most of the trail work is kind of steering towards the um, enduro sort mm-hmm. of – trail riding stuff not so much like downhill tracks and and mm-hmm. not so much basic cross country it's kind of like a bit more dedicated climb and then dedicated descent for the most part these days which has been really good and then yeah. um, we also do sorry this is my phone ringing and no then we also do um we also do uh trail maintenance stuff as well so we just did a big project up uh the north of the state where we rebuild a trail that uh was constructed maybe five years ago or so and needed a heap of work and so we just went in there for six weeks and pretty much gave six kilometers of it a a full uh once over and freshened it all up so yeah it's kind of we can kind of do anything um personally in my own experience i've done everything from asphalt pump tracks to cross country to downhill race tracks uh big jump lines kind of a lot really so it's um Hopefully we can start expanding to doing some more asphalt work and stuff like that is something that I'm really keen to get into. And I think that's going to be a really popular thing for councils to invest in over the next five, 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what do you, what do you enjoy doing the most? Is it the big jump? Is it the big jump tracks? What, what really gets you going? Uh, Probably the, the more gravity sort of technical trails is probably the most exciting stuff it is fun getting in and doing the big the big jump trails but it is you do spend a lot of time in the digger just moving dirt before it actually starts to look like the trail Mm -hmm. where i've really enjoyed uh the last year or two like starting to see how we can build trails a bit differently with machinery and and get away from having a sort of standard bench cut trail and and skim over some bits with the machine and get it through stuff to still make the trail a bit more natural and technical but then you can still have big you know big built berms and jumps kind of in the middle of the woods where if if you had to do that by hand it would take forever and so Mm -hmm. 
I guess sort of pushing what we can do on the technical end with machinery has been a really cool process. And there's a few other guys out there that have been doing the same um, in Taz, like some of the new stuff at Derby and then some of the stuff at Medina as well is pretty amazing. Like you wouldn't think that it's machine built trail, how steep and gnarly some of it is. And so I guess like, yeah, trying to really push that end of it and um, has been interesting. And yeah, it's something that I'm really keen on doing more of for sure. Mm. And is that something, Jake, you think you can do slightly differently from the big guys because you're a bit smaller? You know, are you looking to specialise in any one kind of thing more yeah. so? Yeah, I think we'd like to more advanced level riding. So whether it is technical or jump stuff, it's just, yeah, the more high end. And I guess that appeals to me as someone that's done a lot of riding and racing at a you know, fairly high level over the years. It's kind of you do always want to build the stuff that you want to ride. And so mm-hmm. um, that's not the way it always goes for sure, but it is definitely the most interesting. And so the more we can try and the more work like that, that we can do, um, I feel like the more that that will um, just sort of let itself grow. Uh, yeah. So it's something that we want to specialize in for sure. And, and then the other thing I think would be the asphalt pump tracks. I think they're just, such a good product for the community like having people that can skateboard mm-hmm. them or ride them on scooters or kids bikes or whatever it's i just think that's such a cool thing and i'd love to um see a lot more of them pop up and be involved it'd be really really cool yeah certainly well let, let's chat a wee bit about how trail networks and trail centers and stuff can help economically rebuild small communities and stuff like like blue derby and things like that um yeah because you've you've yeah. seen that in tasmania haven't you you've seen small communities just change because there's a mountain bike trail goes in there yeah yeah it's pretty crazy like um the first time i went to derby would have been in 20 i think it was 2015 it might have been 2016 i can't quite remember but they'd only just started um uh, building the first sort of few loops in there i guess and they kind of just wrapped up the first stage and the town then was um uh, there were people there and you know people were curious as to what was going on um but it was still fairly quiet where if you go to derby now it's like it's unbelievable there's just so many people there riding bikes like i remember we were there on a long weekend at the end of last year and this one trail junction like up on the hill where it, the trails kind of cross the river and stuff there would have been Oh, 60, 70 people, I reckon, just like all kind of hang it. Yeah, unbelievable. And there were just like hundreds of people there that weekend all riding. And to know that that town was so off the map and people couldn't sell houses and there was no work there and stuff like that is, it's just mind-blowing to see mountain biking be the thing, I guess, that, that has taken it from one end of the spectrum to the other and in such a good way too like it just builds a really good community where everyone's involved and people get along and it's it's a healthy outlet so i think in terms of a way to build the economy it's a really healthy and sustainable way to do it Mm. um and yeah just walking down the main street there it's like such a sick vibe there's kids you know riding around on little bikes doing wheelies and the pump tracks full of little kids or riding and there's you know you've you always bump into someone you know and so yeah, it's been it's been really interesting to watch that, and I think there's a lot of interest in in that model, and a lot of councils in sort of rural areas around Australia are, are looking at that and and seeing and wanting to know if they can apply that same thing to 
to their town and uh which will be it'll be interesting to see how the industry develops with that because Derby's a pretty spectacular spot. It's got good terrain and it's, you know, pretty close to an airport. I think it's an hour and 20 minutes or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, good, uh, like, everything kind of and how how the network is fits around the town itself works really, really well. It's really well thought out. And so I think that's a big part of why it has been successful. Like, it, it's not just potluck, I think, or, like, the effort went into the right, the right um, areas. So... I don't think it's just something that you can pick up and drop into any town. Like I think you do need the right elements there for it to be successful. But I think in the right place, it's yeah, definitely a valid way to um, bring some economy back into places that are kind of fallen off the map. You know, um, the sport's yeah. just growing so much, so I can't see it slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, and it's crazy. Derby was an old mining town, was it? It was. Yeah, yeah, forestry as well, but they had uh, a lot of tin mining there. And mm-hmm. so it was busy once, um, yeah, like, you know, 100 years ago. So it was, like, flat out. And then the same the same case goes for Medina. That was an old forestry town. And that – I'm pretty sure that had, like, 3,000 people living out there once. And then uh-huh. and then when we started the bike park out there, it was – like, you'd be lucky to, to see someone. Like, you just – it was like a ghost town. It was just eerie. Like, you – would not see anybody out there except for the guys we were working with, you know. And so mm. where now you go there and there's people around, same thing, there's kids riding their bikes around and stuff like that. Um, and that they've only been open for, a, you know, a year and a half, so you haven't seen the same changes yet, but you can see it started to trickle in. There's so many houses have been bought up and renovated to be accommodation and stuff like that, where before they were just empty. So, it's um, yeah, it's really cool. It's It's exciting to see what it will do for those communities and the people that live there. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. It's really cool. Like, because Derby, now you've got, well, you've got hotels, you've got B and B's, you've got uplift service businesses, you've got mechanics, yeah. you've got yeah. stores. So all, you know, it's crazy, but all from mountain bike trails. And of course, done in the correct way, as you were saying, um, it's just created this wee community. And I, I also think some people that worked in the trails ended up staying there and all because it was so good. So, yeah. it's, it's so it's just crazy that something like mountain biking can actually do that for a community. It is, yeah. Yeah, and I think the fact that it's it's almost been manufactured as well. Like, it wasn't kind of like there was a bunch of people there that were riding and, and building trails and then it kind of attracted people for that reason. It was like the government uh, saw the opportunity to do it, I guess, and invested in it. And it is like a built product. And so to see that shift um, is pretty crazy. Like, and I dare say it's probably a pretty um, economic um, investment to make. I don't think it'd be that expensive relative to other things that the government Mm. can spend their money on. Like trail building is relatively cheap to do. So um, yeah, it's amazing. Like, you got to get yourself there. It's I, it's just one of the coolest places going. I don't think anybody wouldn't have fun in Derby. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, Tassie as a whole, like there's just – there's probably a good three or four other networks that are getting built or, or going to be getting built over the next few years. So um, – and all of those places are going to have, you know, at least 50Ks of mountain bike trails. So it's it's kind of just exploding over here. Yeah, it's crazy. 
Yeah. No, I, I think I would have an issue if I went there. I maybe wouldn't come home. That's yeah. 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 I think that gets a few people for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. Uh, let's chat about how it works a wee bit, if you don't mind, um, and how the whole process works. So if somebody approaches yourself and says, OK, we want, say, a trail belt or something. So how does it start? How do you go through the process? Yeah, so it depends. I guess the first thing is if it's a private uh, client or it's a government client. So anything private is a little bit easier mm-hmm. uh, because obviously they've got the money that they want to spend, so it's it's entirely up to them. So if they've come to us and saying they want they want a product, then I guess we just work with them to develop the best the best value for what they're trying to achieve, and uh, and that's where we can kind of I suppose with my experience of seeing how different things have worked over the years is trying to steer them in the right direction where the stuff that's government funded, uh, it, it generally is almost always tendered out. And so I spend a lot of time writing tenders um, mm-hmm. and and trying to win, you know, we could be bid on projects and try and win them. Um, and you definitely don't win all of them. So it's, it is hard work. Uh, but I suppose for the bigger the bigger projects for places like Derby and stuff like that, there'll there'll normally be a feasibility study to begin with to see where where you know like a professional trail company will come in as a consultant and have a look at the site and where it is, the proximity to a city or an airport and the terrain and all that sort of stuff and land tenure and access and all those sorts of things and 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 I suppose to decide how how feasible it is to actually invest money into the into a certain area and see a positive result um if that goes well it, it goes to a master planning stage where again like a trail consultant will uh design a plan like a, and that'll be a basic network plan how it should all form together uh community c- consultation and engagement to make sure that the people that live there if they're not familiar with mountain biking understand what's going to happen and and how it will work because it can like as we've seen like it can transform a town so mm-hmm. you do need to show some consideration and some respect i suppose to the people that do live there and then there it goes to detail planning where that's where you're out walking in the bush flagging the trails and doing the gps alignments and making sure that everything's going to work and then and then from there it goes to the construction phase and so normally those four parts are packaged into different projects and like sometimes it might take four or five years or even more to get those things going but it's normally like a good 24 months from feasibility until you you're on site breaking ground and, and actually building trail yeah that's crazy man yeah it's a really? big it's a big job and it's a big process and it costs a lot of money um and i suppose with private clients uh whether it's a individual or or, or a private enterprise like it's a little bit easier because um given that they've got the approval to do whatever they want to do uh and they're not breaking any rules and yeah it's pretty easy we can just basically design a network or or a pump track or or a trail and then and then if they're happy with it we just jump in there straight away and build it um and it depends there's sometimes you'll you'll work for like a mountain bike club or something like that and and then that's it's kind of like a step in between where they might have a bit of council money and stuff like that, so it might still get tendered, but you might skip a bit of planning work and just fix up some trails they've got and add some new stuff, and it's a little bit more low-key. But uh, mm-hmm. the big the big projects that, like, 
the big networks, you know, and trail centres, there's, there's a lot of planning work and it can go on for a long time and environmental surveys and cultural heritage and all that sort of stuff can chew up a lot of time as well. So, but I think yeah. it is important, you know, you can't, you can't understate the importance of, of doing all that stuff so that you actually get it right and you don't go and spend millions of dollars building these trails and then having fundamental flaws and then it just wouldn't work, you know. So I think it definitely is worth that planning stage being pretty thorough. Mm-hmm. yeah like that that is a crazy amount of work and time to mm-hmm. put into building these trails like you as the the owner of summit trail you're you need a wage yourself you're paying employees how do you factor that time scale into your cash flow and stuff like that oh, is that not really yeah. difficult it's super difficult and to be honest like you just sometimes you just got to wing it and and hope it hope it goes well uh, and then when the work is there, you got to work really hard and, and efficiently as well and try to make the most of it. But it is a huge challenge because, I mean, while there is money for the consulting work and stuff, it is, uh, I suppose, as a newer business, you've got to be pretty competitive and, and price it competitively as well. And so it is it is a real challenge to, to weigh all that stuff up and, and then you might not get paid for a couple of months as well. So when you've got mm-hmm. all those expenses, it's, it's yeah it's a real juggling act and but i think there is yeah to be honest just an element of of winging it and and hoping that the plan you know goes at least fairly close to the plan and uh seeing if you come out the other side or not but i think that element of risk is is kind of what it takes to to pull you know worthwhile projects off as well so you do just have to throw yourself in the deep end and and just work your hardest and do your best to do a really good job yeah wow it sounds it, you're just juggling so many balls there it's unbelievable yeah yeah it's a little bit crazy i suppose you get you, you know as as you go on you get used to it and and it becomes a bit more normalized but there's definitely times when you kind of you're not sure how it's going to pan out and yeah i suppose you just gotta yeah just keep thinking and you know being critical of what you're doing and making sure that you're making good decisions and you're not rushing and stuff like that and you know making sure that you finish projects off nicely so that your reputation is going to stay intact um mm-hmm. all things like that are, are super super important um because it is it is a fairly small industry and you know like word will travel pretty quick if you if you try and rip someone off or don't do a good job so it's important to yeah sort of stick to your guns and and do what you said you were going to do and um do it well yeah of course of course and you know it's like all these things um it's the way of the world but unfortunately politics kind of gets involved and there's lots of red tape mm. um yeah and and things like that so is do you kind of work with that as well do you do that do you do the field <coughs> design do you organize yeah. your staff yeah. and do you do you're doing everything pretty much everything and then you know when we're flat out on a project i'll spend a good 40 plus hours a week in the machine as well so uh, yeah some weeks you're working like 60 70 hours plus your travel time so you can get a bit crazy um i guess that's the thing is like a lot of i suppose a lot of the writing community doesn't understand um just the the depth that a lot of those things go and even just small things like land access and and stuff like that so and where you're allowed to build um and that can totally change a trail and so it's very hard to balance all those um, elements and then still create something that's really, really good. And so uh, I suppose it's 
we always try and be transparent and, and share the challenges that are there so that people understand why things are the way they are. And because to some people you'd think, you know, well, why don't they just build the trail straight down there? But there might be a cultural heritage site or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so when you've got to balance all those things, it's it's quite it can be really difficult to build a really good trail at the same time because sometimes you don't get the full autonomy over over what's happening and you've got to kind of like do have to bend some rules. So um yeah it's it's a it's a real juggling act again and you just gotta um do your best with what you've got i suppose but mm-hmm. i think overall the industry is getting better i think councils and uh government and landowners and stuff like that are starting to understand the sport a lot better and um i think that's just with familiarization of the sport growing and so i, I do feel like it's getting easier to to build better trails and and more um, progressive trails these days as well um which has been a really cool shift to to see happen, I suppose, in the in the industry. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy when you when you go into depth like that, you know, because a lot of people, I'm sure, and uh, you know, me as well, me included, when I started mountain biking, you look at trail centres or whatever, and you think, well, it's as easy as coming up and saying, okay, well, we'll build a berm there, we'll go straight there, we'll have a small jump there, we'll go down. It's not like that, huh? <laughs> no, nah, not really. Yeah, it's good. It's good when it is. When you get full creative freedom, it's it's awesome. It's so much fun to just be able to put it in exactly how you like. But yeah, quite often there's um, all sorts of things from like environmental offsets to cultural heritage and and uh, land tenure and everything. So it's um, it is difficult. But yeah, I suppose that's that's one of the cool things about like private. Um, trail centers and bike parks and stuff is that they get a lot more um control over the decision making i suppose and so it is always a bit more fun mm-hmm. working in that in that sort of sphere of the industry um but yeah i think as a whole like as i said it's the people and the public are just becoming more used to it and it's i think mountain bikers 10 years ago like when i first started we were kind of almost a little bit like an outcast almost like it wasn't we we're kind of seen as this pretty wild people that did hectic stuff on bikes and people just thought it was a bit crazy. But now that so many people are doing it, it's kind of been legitimized and, and people realize that it, yeah, it is a super accessible sport for everyone. It's not like this full on gnarly thing that only a few people do. And so I think that culture change is, is changing how easy it is for us to do our job and, and how interested people are in seeing trails in there local areas which if people are keen to see it happen then then that's the main thing you can kind of make a lot more happen when people want it to be there rather than people fighting it Mm -hmm. yeah and do you get do you get a real kick out of knowing people riding your trails that you've built and are loving them and giving you feedback and good feedback and stuff like that is that is that (laughs) really cool to see that it's awesome mate yeah it's probably one of the best bits of the job really is to like open something up and and ride it with people for the first time and I mean, riding a brand new trail for the first time is awesome. Like when it's all still smooth and a little bit soft and grippy, it's it is a super cool feeling. And so to to open that up and share it with people, and then to know that 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 experience is going to keep happening for people for years to come is is super cool. And yeah, I love I love people sort of giving us feedback on what they liked and you know what they want and stuff it it makes us better at our jobs and at the same time it's also really cool sometimes when you're just there and and people don't know that you're the person that 
built the trail or the network or whatever and and you can see how much they're frothing on it and they're and they're just sharing that stoke with you and to kind of take that humble position and not have to own it and just and just sort of enjoy that moment is also a really rewarding thing so mm-hmm. i'd say yeah like it's got to be one of my favorite parts of the job is just getting out there and being a part of it with the people that are having fun yeah yeah, and it must be an amazing feeling when you open up a pump track and you see all those kids out on it and stuff, just really yeah. enjoying themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, and it's hard. Like to be honest, it's hard to build like a pump track or jumps in a town where there's like the kids don't get on it. Like as soon as I, I've had so many projects where you you're packing up for the day and there's like 15 kids there with their bikes and you're like, you guys aren't going to ride the pump track yet. And they're like, no, no, we won't do it. And then you get there in the morning and there's tie marks all over it, and then they're there that night as well. So. You kind of just got to let them go sometimes, but um, it is. It's just it's just awesome, like to see. Like at Medina was really cool when we built that pump track at the uh, at the out the back of the base building there, and and that's free to use for the community out there, I suppose. And so, like all the local kids uh, are out there and their old BMX bikes and stuff, just having heaps of fun. And then you see the same thing at Derby, like there's just kids everywhere, and so. I just think it's so cool to see kids outside and having fun in such a healthy way rather than being cooped up indoors. So it's mm-hmm. a it's a really cool, really cool thing to be able to like bring those facilities to life. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So it's very, very interesting what you're involved in now, but you've you've been in it for quite a while. Where do you see the industry going? What's your views on where the industry's kind of going and how things will change? Um yeah, I think we're in a really interesting time, at least in the Australian industry. I think uh, there's projects that are going to go ahead in the next couple of years that are worth over $10 million. And so wow. to think that much money and, you know, they're all like over 100 kilometres of mountain bike trails getting built in one go. Um, to think that that amount of money and and confidence, I guess, in the industry is like being invested is is really, really cool um i do i guess the the flip side of that is that there's so much work going on there's probably not really enough skilled builders um here like i think most of the most of the companies would hire people if they could and so if you had the you know if you had the experience and the and the knowledge so i think the i think the big challenge our industry is going to face is that can we do all this all this work and and keep the quality as high as it is at the moment um which I think is really important because I think if they start going backwards, then uh, people won't, you know, state governments and stuff won't want to invest the money. So mm-hmm. I think it's really important that we hold ourselves accountable as as businesses and trail builders to to do a good job and um, not walk away from something unfinished. And I think that that will be the key thing to like keep it going on a good trajectory. And then mm-hmm. I think globally it'll probably um, become more close-knit as well as more people ride bikes all around the world i think there'll be really cool opportunities for trail builders to to do different projects and it already happens there's guys that just like get headhunted and they'll go do a job on the other side of the world so um guys that i know have gone overseas to go trail building and stuff like that as well so i think that's that's also a really cool part of it but i think yeah for our like australian industry it's it's going to grow pretty strongly for a while i think tassie has really led the way in showing that um, we can trans, you know, transform these towns economically with mountain bike trails. And so I think the mainland of Australia is going to want to catch up on that pretty fast. So I, I dare say it should be a pretty healthy industry to be in for the next 
the next little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you have you have been to Whistler and stuff like that, and you know you could almost say Whistler's the. Oh, it is, I yeah, don't know, sure. you know the mecca, yeah. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the, awesome over there. The capital of mountain biking. When you're uh, when you're riding trails like this now, does the old business head switch on, and do you think that's amazing? I'm going to incorporate that in something. You know, is that the way you think when you're going down these trails? Totally, totally. And I actually love walking them as well. Like going and walking mountain bike trails is something that I've been doing more lately and just appreciating uh, the design and the work that goes into them. And there's so many little things that you don't see when you're whizzing down a trail flat out. And so I've actually been really enjoying slowing down a bit and, and yeah, taking more notice of how things are being done in different places. Um, mm. Yeah, it's it's really cool to try and learn um, of different things and, and people and talking to people from around the world and what they do and how they do it and their ideas. It's, it's so cool and it's just, yeah, it's just such a cool industry because people can be so creative. Um, but I think you still have to have like there's, you know, fundamentals in terms of construction and drainage and stuff like that you have to have to make the trail last. So mm-hmm. it is um it is it is like a really cool thing to see the creativity other people put in and I definitely spend a lot of time looking at what other people have built and, and trying to figure out how they've done it and, and what works well and what doesn't work so well and yeah, what I can incorporate like anything that I can learn from other people so that I don't have to make mistakes is like a huge plus for me. So mm-hmm. I'm um, definitely trying to take a fairly humble attitude and yeah, look at things um, with the uh, perspective of trying to learn for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as maintenance and stuff goes of these trails, so let's just say Derby, for instance, um, the, the trails are built. Do they then hire, does the local council there hire, do they hire maintenance people to look after on a day-to-day basis? How does how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. See, Derby's really cool. They've got a few guys. I think there's two or three dudes that work there um, for the council that, that do trail maintenance. And that's, that's really cool because the trails there are like you're guaranteed to have good trails if you go to Derby. Like you just don't, they're just never running bad. And so mm. they do an awesome job. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen all the time. And I really do hope that that, that starts to happen more in the industry uh, as, uh, you know, councils can spend so much money maintaining like football ovals and tennis courts and parks and all this stuff. And maintaining mountain bike trails isn't actually that expensive compared to the money they spend in other areas. And so if you're going to invest millions of dollars, I think, I think that will start happening more, but traditionally mm-hmm. it's kind of been more of a club uh, thing that normally happens or there'll be a couple of local enthusiast guys that just get out and do it. But mountain bike clubs are great for that stuff as well. And and I have done and will hopefully keep doing workshops with mountain bike clubs, teaching them how to how to build new stuff, but also how to look after the old stuff and I guess the fundamentals of, of trail construction so they, they know what to do when they've got to fix something up. Um, and they're often really rewarding because you get people that are, that are super keen to be involved and learn. And um, so that avenue's traditionally worked fairly well. But I feel like with these bigger networks getting built, it's just so much volume that it is it is like a full-time job for a couple of guys to take care of it. So mm-hmm. we're starting to see that happen. And, and I hope that that keeps happening. Um, the, other, the other option that I suppose happens a bit is that 
councils will and clubs will do maintenance contracts to trail companies where they might come in for a month or so and and you know whiz through a network and fix anything up that needs fixing so that's kind of the the other avenue that happens at times so yeah i know back home um in northern ireland anyway it's mostly trail centers there Um, so they're they're council owned and what they'll do is uh just depending on what's happening but generally they'll put on four or five maintenance days and just ask the local riders to come out and help maintain their local trail Um, yeah yeah and i've done that a number of times and i think it's a really nice way to give back because we get to use the trails free so they're free yeah yeah um you know, obviously, you pay your rates, etc., and all this kind of stuff. Um, but they're free. You you park up and you go and you ride it as long as you want, and it costs you nothing. Um, yeah. There's some other ones you have to pay maybe for the car park space, and that's how they kind of get a wee bit of revenue back. But you're talking, you know, three four pound or something, and between a car of three or four years, it's nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you know, is that the same in Derby and where you're at? There are the trails free to use. Yeah, so Derby's free, um, and then most of the, well, pretty much everything else in Taz is, is that's been built is free except for Maydina. So Maydina is like a private enterprise, and mm-hmm. uh, so the guy that owns Dirt Art, who I used to work for, he he built the bike park, he set up Maydina Bike Park, and as a company and and invested, I suppose the money that he made off trail building back into the industry, which is pretty cool. Um, and that offers uh, operates, you know, kind of more like a Whistler or Queenstown sort of setup right. where it's, uh, they've got a shuttle bus, not a chairlift, unfortunately. But um, you know, it's like your seventy dollars a day or whatever, and it's as many runs as you can fit in. And then they've got like the bar and cafe and stuff at the bottom. So um, yeah, but that you know, theirs is a bit more of a service where you can't you can ride there you can climb and i think it's i think it's like 15 dollars a day or you can buy like an annual pass for like 100 bucks which is pretty good value mm. um but mo- like most people go there to shuttle and uh it's just yeah like i've got a season pass there and like a, or an annual pass i guess so that i can go there whenever i like which is awesome mm. um yeah and so that's but that's kind of like the only private um model in taz and i think there's a couple of small ones on the mainland one near sydney and one up near brisbane um that are doing that but i'd say maydean is kind of like leading the way in australia mm-hmm. for for the private owned court like you know um corporatized bike park i guess mm, interesting yeah it's exciting times it's exciting times in the old mountain bike industry <laughs> it is it's awesome it's such a cool thing to be a part of and um yeah, I guess like help lend my hand in, in shaping it has been, it's a real privilege. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes and hopefully sticking at it for a, for a long time yet. Yeah, cool, bud. Cool. What have you got planned in the future? Is there anything you can tell us about that you've, <coughs> you've got sorted for the near future? Yeah, well, I'm actually, well, I'm going overseas tomorrow morning, um, oh. which should be good. I'm going to New Zealand with my girlfriend and we're spending a bit of time there. Then she's a, uh, a sailor and so we're jumping on a yacht and sailing from new zealand to fiji and wow. we're going to hang out there for a couple of weeks and go surfing and stuff like that awesome. so awesome which man. should be should be epic so that's kind of going to take up the next month and a half to two months and then after that there's a few few sort of privately owned things where some people are interested in in doing some uh 
sort of mini private bike parks with accommodation and things like that and then uh some planning work and then hopefully some more construction work coming up as well so we're trying to have a bit of a balance but um I guess yeah, one of those things is like we've got to we've got to win the job. So there's a few tenders out at the moment that we're waiting to hear back on. But uh, I guess we'll just take it as it comes. And in the meantime, I'll just go hang out in the tropics and catch some <laughs> waves. So you can't take it too seriously. You still have to have time to have fun. So I've had this trip yeah. scheduled in for like six months. So I'm looking forward to it. Cool, bud. Cool. Well, listen, nobody in their deathbed better their deathbed says, uh, "I wish I had worked more." You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, and that's—I mean—I suppose that's another big thing for me having the business is—is is to you know be able to have that independence to just take off and and do this and hopefully do some more racing um, is a big part of it, you know, and sort of like being control of my life, my lifestyle. So it's mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's awesome to to be a, a part of it and to try and make the most out of you know the other parts of my life as well as the work, the working yeah. side. Yeah. Yeah, well, the Fiji will be amazing. I surfed, um, <clears throat> I surfed in Samoa, American Samoa, yeah, right. um, but I never made it to Fiji. Uh, but it was amazing, man. It spoiled me. It destroyed me. Yeah, the water temperature, yeah. Oh, yeah. unbelievable. That's what I'm worried about. I'm going to come back to Tassie in July, and the water temperature is probably going to be like, oh, nine degrees or something like that. And I had a friend; she just came back from Fiji, and I think the water was like nearly thirty degrees. So yeah. I, yeah. I don't reckon I'm going to be doing much surfing when I get home for a couple of months until I acclimatize again. No, um, and uh, I've it, never surfed overseas before, so I'm 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 stoked. This is my first time surfing outside of Australia, so it's, it should be good. Yeah, you'll love it, man. You'll love it. No, it's it's so different when you can surf in both. Like where I'm from in Northern Ireland, the water temperature in the winter goes down to about four or five degrees oh geez it's even colder than here (laughs) yeah so it's brutal and when you can get surfing in 30 31 degrees with a pair of boardies on i'll tell you what there's something different and you know i've been to ando a couple of times and uh samoa the water was warmer in samoa than it was in indonesia as well yeah right i oh it was amazing man amazing yeah it's something uh, that i definitely want to try and do more of um get away it's it just seems like one of those things you can kind of pack up and head away for two weeks and it's probably not quite as expensive as mountain biking either which is good so uh, it's definitely something i want to try and do more of yeah cool man cool well how can people find out more about summit trails if somebody's wanting to get a job with you or something like that how can they find out a wee bit more with you yeah so the website's uh www.summittrails.net and uh, there's a contact form on there, um, which you just fill out, and then that that shoots through to one of our emails, and and then we can get back to you. Um, alternatively, like the company is on Instagram, and that's Summit Trails, Ltd, sorry, which is proprietary limited. The somebody else has got the Summit Trails name, and they haven't posted anything in like a year or something like that. So we're trying to get it off them, but until then, we've got the letters on the end there and then otherwise me um which is uh, i think it's jacko underscore hair is my instagram thing as well so if someone shoots me a message uh that that works as well yeah but the website's good it's got a little contact form there and it just like automatically sends through so that's probably the best bet i'd say cool man Uh, cool yeah and if somebody can find your phone number in an old forum, they might give you a call. Oh, mate, if someone finds, <laughs> if someone finds my phone number on a mountain bike forum, then 
then I'm all ears. I'm happy to <laughs> listen to whatever they want to say. I, I think I owe that one back to the world for sure. It was, um, it was pretty. That was a, a good bit of luck on my side when that happened. I think. Classic. Well, listen, it's so cool to chat to you, Jack. It's uh, cool what you're doing. I'm super stoked you're doing something you love. It's always good to hear from from guys like that. Um, so, listen, I, I hope you all the future and the uh, the success in the future and. Your website's lovely. You seem to be switched on, so I, I can uh, I can see you being a busy boy in the near future. Thanks, mate. I appreciate um, the compliments. It yeah, it means a lot. Cheers. No bother. And uh, say hello to Jasper for me, will you? If you see him, oh, I will do for sure. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> I bump into him sooner rather than later. <laughs> yeah. Cool, bud. Well, listen. Thanks for coming on. Enjoy Fiji and uh, take that well-deserved time out. All right. I hope you get a few barrels. Will do. I'll do my best. Yeah. Cheers, mate. <laughs> Cheers, Bob. Bye, bye. Bye. That's it for episode number 87, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. And Jack, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It was awesome to have you on and have a chat with you. And uh, that's a crazy industry you're involved in there, sir, but you're making it work. And um, everything seems to be very good for you there for the near future. So well done. And thanks for coming on the show again. I really do appreciate it. And yes, I do need to get out there to you and Jasper and... uh, get onto some of those awesome sounding trails I'll maybe take a crew of boys out, how would that be land up at your house there and wreck place for a weekend <laughs> now folks if you want to know more about Jack and Summit Trails just simply go to the website mtb-tribe.com, you will get all the links and a wee bit more to what Jack and myself were chatting about there on the show notes, you'll also get quick links to Jack's socials and uh, the website and how you can get in touch with Jack and see what he's doing there and keep tabs on what's happening and uh, how that whole thing is going over there on Tasmania and Australia. So thanks again for tuning in guys. Now if you want to support the show, you simply can do that by sharing this podcast or rating and subscribing on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. That really helps the show be seen and helps more people log in and download and helps the podcast along. Now you can also help by simply just sharing on socials. I really would appreciate that. You can also follow us on socials. We are on Instagram and Facebook at MTB Tribe. And um, I got my Instagram thing sorted. If you were listening last week, you would know that um, I got my Instagram account hacked. Couldn't use it for about two weeks. Um, but I finally got that sorted. So uh, you'll see me a wee bit more on there. Now, if you also want to get an email from the show, just simply go to the website mtb-tribe.com. You can subscribe there. You'll get one email a week. I won't bombard you. It's just a simple email with a small synopsis of who's coming on the show and what you can expect. And um, visit the website. You can download all the episodes from there. You can listen directly from the website and all the past catalogue is on there as well. Now, you can also listen via Stitcher, Podbean and Spotify and Spotify is getting very popular now so um, I would encourage you to check that out so thanks so much for being here folks it's a pleasure as always to have you tuning in and listening to our conversations so have a great weekend on the trails enjoy the bike enjoy the weather and uh, just think about what goes into making that trail that you're running on and if you can give back do so go to a trail maintenance day give back to them awesome trails that we are so so lucky to ride mostly for free so folks have a good one i will see you next week for another mtb tribe podcast